Welcome to No Filter. I'm your host, Anna Kasperi, and it feels so good to be back. I was just in DC and New York for business, but I hope that gave you some time to catch up on previous episodes that you may have missed. Today, we're gonna discuss how former chief of staff, John Kelly, plans to profit off the suffering of children. Also, did you know that Bernie Sanders had a public access show when he was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont? We'll take a chance to take a look at those videos and discuss. Finally, I wanna touch on how everyone, including today's progressives, ends up voting against their best interests at some point in their lives. Oh, and by the way, let me just remind you that it's gonna be a freaking fantastic show. Before we get started, I'd like to encourage you to please leave a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. Am I asking you to do so to boost my ego? Yeah, partly, but the primary reason is that the more five-star ratings we get, the more likely we'll get featured on these platforms. That means more people will get the chance to listen to this show and see all the in-depth analysis most people don't get in the mainstream media. All right, with that said, let's get started. Sometimes Democrats make the mistake of thinking terrible individuals aren't so bad if they share a common enemy. In this case, former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly is the terrible individual in question, and Trump seems to be the common enemy. But don't be fooled, because despite Kelly's disdain for Trump, his character reveals that he is a ruthlessly cruel person who loves to exploit human suffering for profit. CBS News revealed that Kelly joined the board of directors for Caliburn International, the parent company of Comprehensive Health Services, which runs detention centers for underage migrants. The company operates the largest detention site for underage migrants in Homestead, Florida. In addition to three shelters, shelters for unaccompanied migrant children in Texas. What makes these centers different from state or federally run detention centers is that they're managed like businesses looking to turn a profit and increase their investors rate of return. If you know anything about private prisons, you've probably heard some horror stories. And guess what? Homestead has stories of its own. Forbes reports that Caliburn's Homestead branch imprisons more than one in six of the 12,500 migrant minors currently in custody of the US government. Aside from the fact that making money off child imprisonment is gross, there's been some worry that Homestead is putting some of these kids in danger. Here's CBS News explaining why. Well, the facility houses about 2,200 teenagers as of April 24th, but is not subject to routine inspections from state welfare experts. Employees at this facility undergo FBI background checks, but do not undergo Florida's child abuse and neglect background check systems, which actually provides more information than a traditional criminal database. Yeah, maybe we should allow the state of Florida to conduct these more extensive background checks. And you know, that way we can ensure that these minors aren't being abused, because it turns out that some of them already have been by former employees. In June of 2017, a 35-year-old CHS employee who used to work at Homestead was charged with and later found guilty of illicit sexual activity, including exchanging explicit videos and images with migrant minors she met at the shelter. She was later sentenced to 10 years in prison. Orlando Weekly also discovered that the Florida Department of Children and Families has investigated two separate cases of sexual abuse allegedly committed by caregivers at the facility. Now, the investigations apparently found no wrongdoing. But considering that Homestead is on federally owned land, 
Florida lawmakers and child welfare investigators have limited control over the situation because it's not in their jurisdiction. The Miami Herald also found that Frankie Santos, a felon who has a drug history and also a history with domestic violence, told a judge he was working with kids at the detention center saying, quote, I watch over the children to make sure they don't sneak off or go anywhere where they're not supposed to. The judge in that case was horrified at the thought of adults facing felony charges watching children. Judge Jerry Cohen says, quote, the United States government should be hanging its head in shame. It's disgusting that they would hire someone with an open felony to watch children. There have been other issues at Homestead. Neha Desai, the director of immigration at the National Center for Youth Law says that they're packed in like sardines and they're provided absolutely no privacy. It's really disconcerting that a company is profiting off of the detention of children. Licia Welch, the senior director of legal advocacy and child welfare at the National Center for Youth Law told NPR, we see extremely traumatized children, some of whom sit across from us and can't stop crying over what they're experiencing. Oh, But wait, there's more. Lourdes Perez Ramirez, a teacher who used to work at the facility, told the Miami Herald that, quote, it's basically like a prison. You cannot enter certain doors, you cannot go through certain areas, you cannot talk to the children unless you're the case manager. When a 13-year-old cries every day, obviously something is wrong. In January, CBS found that Homestead wasn't even licensed. Lead attorney tells CBS News more than a dozen facilities were unable to produce licenses when inspected. This is a facility in Homestead, Florida, and it holds as much as 10% of the entire population of unaccompanied children in the country. And this facility and the others that were flagged by these lawyers, are, are it's not just some random attorneys that are highlighting it. These are the team of, it's about 250 people who are the only ones allowed to really oversee the system under court order. So it turns out that these facilities are in essence breaking the law, is that right? That's what the lawyers are saying, that's what they told the Department of Justice in a letter about three weeks ago. Homestead is allegedly breaking the law in other ways as well. In fact, US law indicates that these minors can only be held up to 20 days. But it turns out the average migrant child stays at Homestead for 60 days, which means the facility is breaking the law regularly with no fear of consequences. John Kelly apparently doesn't care about Homestead breaking the law either, since he's willing to join its parent company's board of directors. And let's not forget the insane declaration that Trump himself actually believes in the rule of law. In this race for the White House, I am the law and order candidate. Yeah. So the guy now facing multiple criminal investigations, who was also found defrauding students with his now defunct Trump University, is going to declare that he's all for the rule of law. And all of this goes down while he turns a blind eye to the unlawful activity that harms children at Homestead. But even if Trump had a squeaky clean record and really was in favor of law and order, we have to question whether some of our laws make sense in the first place. Because when the US allows prisons and detention centers to run like businesses, you can certainly expect nonsensical laws that criminalize nonviolent behavior to serve as a lucrative pipeline for inmates. 
Just take a broader look at America's prison system. The United States, the so-called land of the free, imprisons more people than any other country in the world. We have more individuals behind bars than China. In fact, half, half, 50% of the world's prison population is held in the US. Big business is the catalyst behind the explosion of America's prison population. Geo Group and CoreCivic, the two largest for-profit prison corporations in the country, have both lobbied hard to perpetuate the war on drugs. And they love the draconian measures on undocumented immigrants because that means they get more taxpayer-funded government contracts to line their pockets. And for those who are gullible enough to think that Trump's policies toward immigrants is somehow saving Americans money, the numbers tell a completely different story. Comprehensive Health Services, which runs Homestead, pulled in $236 million in revenue, that's taxpayer money, in 2017. In the first seven months of that year, CHS reported a 19% net profit margin. CHS's revenue from government contracts nearly tripled between 2017 and 2018, mostly driven by the increased business at Homestead. In 2018, the federal government also paid CHS more than $210 million for its so-called shelter work. So don't be fooled into thinking John Kelly is somehow better than others in the Trump administration. After leaving the White House, Kelly opened up to the Los Angeles Times and made it seem as though he has some sort of conscience. He blames former Attorney General Jeff Sessions for the policy separating undocumented immigrants from their children at the border. Kelly saying the move took him by surprise. It was just one of the many controversies he weathered during his 17 months in the White House, something he called a bone-crushing hard job. Yeah, let me teach Kelly a word in Spanish, mentiroso, which means you're a liar. Come on, we all know that Kelly is full of it. He's now happily, happily profiting off of the suffering of children, plain and simple. My guess is that he'd rather be doing so under the previous administration where the horrific cruelty lurked in the shadows and the media wasn't paying attention. We'll be right back. It's not enough just to talk about nice things. If one is concerned about the poor, mm -hmm. if one is concerned about the plight of women or working people, that somebody's gonna have to stand up and talk about specific ideas as to how we can improve those conditions. And when you talk about that, you're really talking about one word, it's called politics. Ultimately, what the system tells you is that it's every person for themselves. And that what you have to do is scrape and push and shove your way up the ladder so that someday you too can have a lot of money and buy a nice fancy car mm -hmm. and become the top of, of, of the uh, system there. And that's really the value system. Yeah. that the establishment perpetuates. Progressive presidential candidate Bernie Sanders first began his political career in 1987 as the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Recently, Politico magazine uncovered tapes from his old public access show called Bernie Speaks with the Community. This was a public access show that he actually did while he was the mayor of Burlington. I'm someone who responds to old political videos like a feline would to catnip because I think it's super valuable to get a better understanding of the individuals who are vying to be the next president of the United States. And look, we'll get to the important things Bernie had to say back in the day while he was an unknown mayor, but first, let's have some fun, let's keep it real. In a video dated July 3rd, 1987, Bernie speaks to a group of young kids about various issues, including Vermont's history. These kids were observant, as you're about to see in the following clip. 
Did you know you you look like somebody on Back in the Future? I look like. Oh my yeah, God. Dad, he looks like that guy on Back in the Future. <laughs> Not Michael J. Fox, the other guy. A little kid just told Birdie that he looks like the guy from Back to the Future, not Michael J. Fox. First of all, props to the little kid for knowing the name of the actor, Michael J. Fox. And the other guy from Back to the Future that the cute kid was referring to was actually Emmett Brown. So that's the character who invented the first time machine in the movie, right? The role was played by actor Christopher Lloyd, and you know what? The kid had a point. In the same video, Bernie talks uh, talks to the kids about drugs. Now, remember, I got to give you some context. This was during the Reagan administration when the war on drugs was on steroids. And yes, pun intended. Let's take a look. Do any of the older kids do you know have some problems with drugs occasionally? No. Yeah. Oh. Well, who wants to talk to me about that one? What about I, drugs? Is that a problem? I like coke. Okay, you want, do you want to talk about that one? <laughs> oh, who said they like coke? Me. All right, you tell me about that. I like Coca-Cola. Oh, Coca-Cola. Coca -Cola. All right, but who knows about cocaine? Anyone ever seen cocaine? Yeah. Yes. 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 Right. Hold it one at a time. What about cocaine? Good thing, bad thing, what? Bad. Bad thing. Why is it bad? Because it has a bad effect on the body. That's right. No, I love, but what about cocaine? Who said they like Coke? I just, I love it, okay? As I watch these videos, I can't help but notice how Bernie speaks to kids and adults with his signature authenticity. He's not polished, and that's what many left-wing voters actually love about him. He's not condescending toward the kids, and he seems to genuinely wanna provide a platform for young people in the community so they can speak their mind and also air their grievances. In fact, in one episode, he visits a mall and speaks to two punk rock teenagers. The girl has a partially shaved punk rock haircut and black lipstick. That's important for the podcast listeners to know as you listen to this next clip. Well, let me start off by saying it's an interesting hairdo. Thank you. Lipstick, lipstick is also very interesting. How do you feel society can be changed? Well, if we could go into the archives and see what the government's really been doing for the past, I don't know how long, many years, then we'd all be pretty appalled and sickened by it. Because we think we're so free, we think we're so democratic, everybody has a say, we're just as imperialistic as the Soviets are. Okay, I'm dying to know who that woman is. Uh, at that point, she was a teenager. But if, if you're watching, if you're somehow out there, get in touch with me because I want to know what your current thoughts are. Now, aside from giving the residents of Burlington, Vermont, a platform in which they could share their thoughts, Bernie utilized the show to share his own priorities. Political Magazine writes that, quote, Sanders used the show to make the case for an array of left-leaning proposals from a progressive income tax to a national healthcare system. He proposed a new kind of loan that would allow elderly people to put off paying property taxes until they sold their home, and also promoted his administration's decision to put a local hospital on the property tax rolls and demanded that condominium developers build more affordable housing. This goes back to the important stuff that I was actually referencing earlier. What makes Bernie stand out from the 20 plus candidates vying to win the Democratic ticket is an insane level of consistency and persistence. He's been fighting for the exact same policies his entire political career. There has never been any notable wavering on the issues. The following video is from March 29th, 1987, when Sanders was sworn in as mayor. Just to give you even more context, that was when I was seven months old. We deal with a housing crisis, for example, not in theoretical mega billion dollar terms, 
but in phone calls from constituents who have no place to live or are taking money out of their food budget to pay outrageously high rents. We deal with the crisis of affordable health care, not through fundraising dinners sponsored by the American Medical Association, not through cocktail parties with the hospital establishment or the heads of the drug companies, but from meetings with senior citizens and low-income people who cannot afford prescription drugs or their health insurance premiums and who are scared to death about becoming sick because in America, many people cannot afford to be sick. There was one line in Politico that really stood out to me. Holly Otterbin writes that Bernie Speaks with the Community is now 1,667 minutes of material for opposition researchers, healthcare insurance companies, and Trump's reelection campaign to pick through. But perhaps she's right. Perhaps opposition researchers will take some of this footage and try to use it to their advantage. But much like the attempts to smear Bernie in 2016, I think the attacks will be a fruitless effort. It's rare to find politicians that have this type of authenticity and this type of consistence. And all of these old videos reveal that Bernie is someone who fits that description. And if we're about to be critical about presidential candidates based on the videos that are floating around from their past, maybe we should consider this one featuring Joe Biden. The younger generation now tells me how tough things are. Give me a break. <laughs> no, no, I have no empathy for it. Give me a break. Yeah. I'd love to give you a break, and I'll give you a break by not voting for you. While progressive candidates are looking to make college free or affordable, Biden would like young people to stop their whining and just deal with the whopping $1.5 trillion in student loan debt. Who cares if millennials are earning less than generations before them? Biden and his establishment buddies are doing well, and I guess that's all that matters to him. We'll be right back. When Gloria Steinem was out there talking, mm -hmm. Did I think I was going to be one of those women's libbers? Heavens no, yeah. um, I wanted children, I wanted a family, and I somehow thought those were either or choices. And yet, I wanted to do things. That was Elizabeth Warren, circa 2008. She was interviewed on Conversations with History, which was a talk show on the UC Berkeley campus. What really stood out to me about that interview, and especially that specific clip, was how much Warren seemed to dislike the so-called women's libbers, even though those same women were fighting for things that Warren truly wanted for herself. Look, it's difficult to understand how or why people vote or are politically active against their best interests. Yes, there's all sorts of propaganda out there swaying people in the wrong direction. But in this case, even though Warren wanted to be a mother and even though she did want to raise a family, she also wanted more. When she gave up a college scholarship to stay home and raise her kids, she found herself restless and longing for a career. She wanted to go to law school and accomplish goals that feminists paved the way for. Yet, she used to be convinced that the fight for gender equality was somehow a bad thing. Warren is clearly very different today, and I really want to emphasize that. She switched parties and became a Democrat after realizing the Republican Party had little to no interest in protecting the working and middle class. And now, when it comes to fiscal policy, she's one of the most progressive candidates. Look, Warren grew up in Oklahoma, one of the reddest states in the US. And it reminded me that as much as we try to rebel against it, our environment does shape our political views. My guess, and it is my guess, 
is that Warren was surrounded by a community that was critical toward the feminist movement. And that type of thinking seeped into her own mind. But I gotta give her credit for one thing. I find it admirable that Warren was willing to open her mind to other ideas and that evidence and new ideas actually changed her mind. That's not a trait that we see in many people these days. And it's something I wanna keep in mind when I wanna reject something that challenges the way that I think. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at NoFilterTYT. Yeah, that's right, we got a Twitter account. Please check it out. Also, we have a new YouTube channel. You can find no filter videos by subscribing to youtube.com slash TYT shows. Again, that's youtube.com slash TYT shows. And finally, I wanna thank everyone who helped me produce and put this show together. I can't do this all on my own. And I wanna thank you guys for watching and I hope you enjoy the show. We'll see you next week with another episode of No Filter.